Well, today is Easter Sunday, but I know that for many of us, it doesn't feel like it. Usually, we're dressed up in our Easter best, and we're attending the biggest celebration at Church of the Year. Uh, normally, we're uh, spending time with family. We're gathering together for parties. Uh, normally, we'd be eating out. We'd be eating meals together. But instead, we're gathered around a computer watching a sermon through a screen. And to be honest, for me, this is a little sad. And I think that we can say that, that as a nation, we are in a time of collective sorrow. Uh, we grieve as the death toll rises. Uh, th this past week was the hardest week in the lives of many Americans. We grieve as schools are canceled, and many students won't get to graduate or go to the prom. Uh, we grieve during this time of social isolation. And I know that for introverts, uh, maybe you're enjoying time alone. This is kind of where you're comfortable. But for most of us, this social isolation can be kind of depressing. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of getting a little bit of Zoom fatigue. I want to be together. And so for many of us, this is a time of collective sadness. And I think for many of us, uh, there, there are lots of reasons why we grieve. There are, grief, there are reasons for sorrow beyond COVID-19. Uh, for many of us, we are, we're out of work. Um, some of us are going through a divorce. Uh, there are those of us that are battling cancer. Some of us have just broken up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And so we're grieving. We're experiencing a time of sorrow. And so the question I want to ask is this. How do we celebrate Easter during a time of collective sorrow? How do we celebrate the greatest news that the world has ever known during a time when we are deeply grieving? Is it even right to celebrate Easter? Can we even celebrate Easter during this time of sorrow? Well, I think it's especially important for us to celebrate Easter this year because now more than ever, we need the hope of the gospel. And that's exactly what Easter proclaims to us. And so uh, this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna look at the story of a woman who discovered the good news of Easter in the midst of her sorrow. Her, her name is Mary Magdalene, and her story is here in John chapter 20. And so let's jump into the story. So John 20, what's interesting is that everybody experiences the empty tomb differently. And so uh, Peter experiences the empty tomb with great excitement. He runs to the tomb. He sees that nobody's there. He runs out of the tomb to tell everybody about it. John experiences the empty tomb with belief. He sees that the, the body is not there, and it says immediately, John believes. Of course, doubting Thomas experiences the empty tomb with, with skepticism and doubt. And Mary experiences the empty tomb with sorrow. Now, who was Mary? Who was Mary Magdalene? Well, uh, John, uh, Luke chapter 8 says that Mary was uh, a demoniac before she met Jesus. She was possessed by seven demons. And uh, whatever you believe about that, a, a demon-possessed person in that day was someone who heard voices, they walked around talking to themselves, they were outcasts in society, they were basically homeless. Uh, the Bible also tells us that she was a prostitute. And then she met Jesus and he rescued her, rescued her out of all of this darkness. And so she loved Jesus. He was somebody who redeemed her life. And so she comes to the tomb early, and it says that when she saw that nobody was there, her immediate response was grief. It says that she stood outside of the tomb weeping. Now, the word weeping is it's a very strong word. It, it, it means something like wailing. And so she wasn't just shedding a few tears, 
Mary was standing there in deep grief. She was wailing. She was deeply distraught. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a deep grief like this, where everything just stops and all you can do is stand there or sit there. And as the world goes, keeps going on around you, you're just sitting there in grief. This is where Mary is. As she stands before the empty tomb. And there's two questions throughout the story, or, or the, the same question that's asked twice of Mary. Uh, first, it's asked by the angel who's in the tomb, and secondly, it's asked by Jesus himself. They ask Mary, why are you weeping? And this is a good question. In the book of John, the questions of Jesus are always piercing. They're always soul-searching, uh, deep, uh, introspective questions. Mary, why are you weeping? That's a good question to ask of your grief. Why am I sad? Why am I grieving? I love that Jesus doesn't immediately rebuke her for weeping. He doesn't say, Mary, stop weeping. He says, Mary, why are you weeping? And in some ways, it's entirely appropriate for her to weep. And weeping is, in many, in many ways, an, entire, an entirely appropriate emotion in this world. We live in a broken world. Uh, we live in a world of viruses and death and illness and corruption. And in many ways, weeping is an appropriate response to living in a broken world. It's a sign that you're not in denial. You are seeing reality clearly. Right? Jesus wept often. He was a man of sorrows as he walked through this sad and broken world. In many ways, grief is very appropriate. And it's, it's fine to lament the darkness of the world. But on the other hand, I think Jesus is asking her the question, why are you weeping? Because her weeping is dangerous. Because her weeping is blinding her to certain very, very good realities. Because Mary is weeping, she is missing the good news that is standing right in front of her. And Jesus asks the question because he wants to pull her out of her sorrow. And he wants her to see this wonderful, beautiful news of the gospel. He wants to pull her out of despair. He doesn't want her to miss the wonderful news of the resurrection. There's a story of Martin Luther. And uh, Martin Luther, he was the uh, leader of the Protestant Reformation, a, a very important figure in in church history, and uh, he was prone to, to long bouts of depression. And sometimes he would go for weeks and weeks just drowning in sorrow. And Luther was married to this wonderful woman. Her name was Katie. She was this fiery redhead. Uh, she was 16 years younger than Luther, and uh, she was highly intelligent. She was very, very blunt, and she would often get in Luther's face. And one of the, the uh, times where Luther was uh, depressed, you know, he was just kind of mourning and, and just uh, languishing in despair, uh, Katie dressed up in all black mourning clothes. And Luther finally noticed and asked her, are you going to a funeral? She replied, no, but since you act as though God is dead, I wanted to join you in the morning. And this pulled, pulled Luther out of his despair. It shocked him into seeing the good news of the gospel clearly. Jesus wants to do the same thing with Mary. He wants to do the same thing to all of us in our grief. You see, it's possible to be so uh, uh, deep in sorrow that you miss the good news of the resurrection. Mary finally sees it. So notice uh, Jesus says to her, Mary, she thinks he's the gardener. He finally says, Mary, and she sees clearly, and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
And Jesus says, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to my father, but go instead and tell my brothers what you have seen. And so she goes back celebrating. And what did she see in the face of Jesus? What did she see that day that melted her sorrow? Well, it's the same thing that we need to see today in our grief. She saw three things, three wonderful realities of the resurrection that we all need to see today on Easter. Three realities that will melt our sorrow. The first one is this. As she looked in the face of Jesus, she saw this wonderful reality that death is not the end. She thought Jesus was gone. She thought Jesus was gone forever. She would never see him again. But as Jesus stood before her, bodily rose, risen from the dead, she realized at that moment that death was not the end. And I know that death is tragic. Uh, death is, is a, a very a terrible thing that we should be very sad about. Death is, is always traumatic. It's always tragic. Uh, and we need to know that, that God himself is against death. God never created death. Death is an intruder into God's good world. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says that death is the final enemy. Death is not a friend. It is an enemy. And we are rightly grieved at death. Death is a problem. I was reading a book uh, by a philosopher, a French philosopher. His name is Luke Ferry. And he said the reason why he's, he was looking at the history of philosophy, and he said the reason why Christianity was so popular, the reason why it spread, is because it gave a solution to the horrible tragedy of death. And he said this. He said a human being is the only creature who is aware of his limits. He knows that he will die and that his near ones and those he loves will also die. Consequently, he cannot prevent himself from thinking about this state of affairs, which is disturbing, absurd, and almost unimaginable. We don't want life to end. Love was meant to last. Beauty was meant to be forever. We don't want to be separated from our loved ones. And so death is unimaginable. Uh, Steve Jobs uh, was... Uh, he was, uh, there was a biography by Steve Jobs written by Walter Isaacson, and there's a scene in that biography where Jobs starts to talk about death, the reality of his death, and he died of pancreatic cancer. And so he's reflecting on death in this little uh, story. And uh, it says that they were sitting in his garden, and uh, Isaacson said, Steve, do you believe in God? And here's what Steve Jobs said. He said, sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. It's 50-50, but I find myself believing a bit more. Maybe that is because I want to believe in an afterlife. When you die, it doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated somehow just lives on. But then he paused, and for a second he said, yeah, but sometimes I believe it's like an on-off switch. It turns off, and you're done. And then he paused, and he said, and maybe that's why I didn't put an off switch on Apple devices. We don't want there to be an off button. But here what Mary sees as she looks at the risen Jesus is that we live in a world because of the resurrection where there is no off button. We will live forever. There is eternal life and not just some vague notion that we will float off into the clouds, but Jesus stands there bodily. The one who loved her stands there personally. And he shows us that all of us will live in new resurrection bodies with the ones we love and with Jesus Christ forever. Death is not the end. 
I love what George Herbert said in a poem. He said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Although all of us will experience death, after death comes resurrection, life with Jesus. And this is very, very good news today. Don't miss it. The second thing that Mary learned is she, or saw as she looked in the eyes of Jesus there, resurrected from the dead, is that evil has not won. Not only is death not the end, but evil hasn't won. You see, Mary was grieving not only because of that Jesus died. I mean, that was, that was horrible, but she was also mourning the injustice of it all. Jesus Christ was, the, was the, the most loving, kind, innocent, beautiful human being she'd ever met. He had rescued her. He was the only man who ever really knew her. And this beautiful, innocent man was betrayed by the Romans. He was crushed by the Roman machine. He was violently and cruelly murdered. And on top, of all, on top of all that, she says, they've stolen his body. And she was just torn up over the injustice of it all, just the wrongness of it all. She was overcome by it. You could almost see her angry. They've stolen the body. He's not there, and, and they've, sto- they've stolen his body. She is angry at the evil in this world. And Mary knew what it was like to be powerless in the face of evil. And here she thought evil is one. Things are just, this is the way things are, I guess, in this world. It's just going to go on like this. The stronger is going to eat the weak. The, eat, the wicked people in this world get ahead. And it's just too much for her to take. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever just felt like it's just not fair? You look at the cruelty of the world and you say, it's not fair. This is not right. Maybe you felt like anger. Maybe you felt anger like Mary has felt before. Angry at the injustice. Angry at the disparage between the rich and the poor. Angry when when the wicked get ahead. When Mary looked in the face of Jesus, she learned that evil has not won. When Jesus rose from the dead, this was a vindication. It was a sign of what God would one day do, not only for Jesus, but for the whole world. One day God will set this world to rights. And what this mean is, means is that evil has not won. History is not just a, an endless cycle of violence. One day God will stop the evil and he will make all things right. And this is good news. Don't miss this this morning. Sometimes we're just so overcome by evil. You know, in my house, uh, we, we have four boys who are always uh, getting dirty and the pile of laundry just piles up. And sometimes I just get overwhelmed by the pile. It is never going to end. I'm fighting a losing battle. Help. Somebody come over and do my laundry for me. Sometimes we feel like we're fighting a losing battle in this world. Maybe even personally, you're fighting sin and you're fighting things in your life. And you just feel like it's never going to end. I'm going to lose. Listen, we are not fighting a losing battle. Jesus Christ has conquered evil. And what that means is that we fight from a place of victory. Now, this doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Christianity is the opiate of the masses and that we're just going to wait till Jesus comes to defeat evil. Because Jesus has already won the victory, that means that we should be motivated now to fight against injustice. I love what N.T. Wright says. Um, He says, people who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right, at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. We fight from a place of victory. 
The battle has already been won. Love wins. Justice wins. God is going to make the world right. So let's go on and let's pull that victory into the present. This is good news today. There's a third thing that she saw when she looked in the face of Jesus, and that is that a new world has begun. A new world has begun. As Jesus stood there this, and resurrected bodily there standing in front of her, this meant that a new world, a new creation has broken in right in the middle of the old one. Now, a lot of people that when they think about the future, they think that, you know, uh, one day uh, all those who believe are going to be whisked into heaven. God's going to destroy the world and we're going to live, uh, you know, up somewhere away from this planet. But that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible says that there's a future for this world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's stamp of approval on his creation. He has not given up on it. He's committed to this world. And one day, he is going to renew and redeem and fix this broken world. The picture of the end is not us going away from the world. It is Jesus Christ returning to this world to finish what he started. He's going to make all of it right. He's going to redeem not only our lives, but all of creation. And this is good news for our future. It's good news for our world. When you look at the story, what's interesting is that when when Mary finally recognizes Jesus, she grabs onto him. She grabs onto him and she won't let go. Jesus actually says, woman, don't don't cling to me. Let go of me, Mary. Now, why does he, that's kind of a weird thing. Why does Jesus say that? You see, Mary was trying, she she had lost Jesus once and she was not going to lose him again. She wanted everything to go back the way, to the way it was. She had a wonderful life with Jesus. Remember, he had rescued her. She was just devastated by darkness, you know, filled with demons. She was a prostitute, and Jesus pulled her out of all that, and she loved him, and she was walking with him, and she wanted to go back to the way it was. She wanted everything to go back to the way it was. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe there's some point in your past, the good old days, when things were good, before the accident or before the divorce, or before the sickness, and you think, I wish for for anything that I could just go back and things could go back to the way they were. This is where Mary was. Uh, Last week, someone told me that my old uh, house that I used to live on uh, was up for sale. 3109 Stevely in Long Beach, California was up for sale. And this was a beautiful house. It was a house that I grew up in, uh, mid-century modern, someone who bought it, they renovated it, it looks amazing. But as I was going through the pictures online at realtor.com, uh, I was just looking at these pictures and I just got this sense of nostalgia. And it was almost like this weight, this sense of sorrow as I remembered what life used to be like. And I wanted so much to go back. And I realized that I, I couldn't, there's no way I could ever go back. Things would never be like that again. There's kind of a sorrow there. But Jesus looks at Mary and he looks at us and he says, listen, you can't go back. But here's what I want you to know, that your future is infinitely better than the past. No matter how good the past was, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how bad it is in the present, your future, I could say this categorically, because of the resurrection, your future and the future of this world is infinitely better than what's in the past. Your future is incredibly bright. This is hopeful. 
And we need this hope to keep us going. And this is not some trite Hallmark card like, you know, ooh, child, things are going to get better. Things are going to get brighter. This is not cheer up for one more day. Things will go your way. This is Jesus Christ saying, a new world has broken into the old one. And what that means is that I am at work in this world redeeming and transforming, and one day I will make all things right. Your future is infinitely better than your past. You've got a living hope. And Jonathan Edwards was a, a preacher back during the First Great Awakening. He was a very intelligent man. And when he was 17 years old, he wrote his first sermon. A very simple sermon, but what I loved about it was that he had three points, like I always do. And here were his three points. It was about, it was called the Christian's happiness. And he says, here's why a Christian should be happy. He says, your bad things will turn out for the ultimate good. Number two, your good things can never be taken away from you. And the best things are yet to come. The best things are yet to come. And so Mary, as she, as she is just standing there in sorrow, she sees these three wonderful, massive realities of Easter. Death is not the end. Evil hasn't won. A new world has begun, and it transforms everything. This morning, I want to encourage you to think about these realities. You know, it's so easy... Uh, you know, in the, in the recent weeks and in the coming weeks, and just to, uh, you know, look at your social media feed and look at all the things that are going on around you in this world and just be depressed about it. But don't let your sorrow blind you to the realities of the good news. Maybe that's your word today. Maybe for every one look at your social media feed, look, take 10 looks at the wonderful realities of the resurrection. These are Good realities, these are beautiful things that will transform everything. Let me give you some things to do this week as you think about the resurrection. First of all, notice Jesus tells Mary to go and tell. Tell somebody this good news. This is a dark world. There's reason to lament. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, there is a future. Go and tell somebody this good news. Remember Katie told Martin Luther that God was still alive, maybe you need to be like Katie and tell somebody who needs to hear it the good news of the resurrection. Go and tell. Go and work. Remember, N.T. Wright says that the future that's coming needs to be brought into the present. Work against death. Work against evil in this world because we fight from a place of victory. Go serve at our Father's table. Go make a mask for somebody who's working in healthcare. Feed the poor. Work for the good world that's coming. And finally, I want to encourage you to consider believing. Maybe you don't believe this. Maybe you find this really, really, maybe you think this is too good to be true. I don't know that I can believe this. Well, imagine if you were, maybe you got a, imagine you got a letter in the mail and uh, this letter was on sort of official paper and it had like a lawyer's letterhead and it said in there that a distant relative that you haven't met has died and you've just inherited a billion dollars. Now, you'd be skeptical. I'd be skeptical. But you wouldn't just throw that letter away. You would at least check it out, wouldn't you? It is just such good news that you would at least check it out. And if you're struggling to believe this today, maybe you're thinking, this is just too good to be true. Hey, it is so good, you at least should check it out. 
Examine the evidence of the resurrection. Examine the historical Jesus. And I want to challenge you to consider these wonderful claims. Jesus Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this good news of the resurrection. Uh, Many of us today might be uh, like Mary. Maybe we relate to Mary Magdalene, who just stood weeping in front of the empty tomb. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, so that the good news of the resurrection would melt our sorrow just the way it melted hers. God, we know that there are reasons to lament. There are reasons for sorrow. And yet we pray that our sorrow would not blind us to the truth. God, I pray that you would enlighten us, help us to understand in a deeper way what it means that you have risen from the dead. We pray this in Jesus' name.